Welcome back to another episode of Bitfinex Talks. I'm your host, Ricardo Martinez. Today, I'm here with Pierre Richard, a legendary Bitcoiner and the vice president of research at Riot Blockchain. Pierre, thanks for coming on the show. How are you today? Doing very well. Thanks for having me on. I wanted to start off talking about your recent article. I saw your article, Say Hello to Bitcoin, in Bitcoin Magazine on Twitter in the last couple of days. Um, I enjoyed it. Uh, do you want to elaborate on the schism we're seeing right now with the movement um, of Bitcoin, not crypto? It seems kind of like since the FTX thing uh, popped off that we've seen uh, a lot of Bitcoiners start um, really stressing this differentiation. Is this the decoupling that maximalists have been talking about for a long time? Uh, no, I, I don't think this is this is it. I think that um, there will continue to be um, a lot of what I would characterize as conflation uh, between um, crypto, uh, Bitcoin, and and centralized exchanges, as well as kind of the um, the third pillar in the uh, mix here. So um, I think that this they, they've been mixed together for almost a decade at this point. I, I'd really point to. Um, 2013, with um, uh, the emergence of more and more uh, altcoins, as they might be called, or other cryptocurrencies um, subsequent to, to Bitcoin. And really, the uh, biggest one that emerged was Ethereum. And so, um, in the piece, I described some of the differences in terms of what Ethereum is trying to accomplish versus what Bitcoin is trying to accomplish. Um, I think, though, that even it, beyond just the engineering differences between Bitcoin and Ethereum, uh, at the end of the day, they, they also have a lot of similarities. I think the biggest similarity is that both are trying to be money. Uh, both want to be currency, right? And so as uh, monetary assets, they very much are competing. And, and just as assets, point blank, they are competing for balance sheet, right? Um, everyone's balance sheet has a certain amount of assets. And um, in, a, in, in many regards, it's a fixed pie. Uh, so these are in direct competition. Um, but what I really wanted to get into was how are they differentiated? Why is it reductive to just blanket call everything crypto? Um, and so calling Luna, Ethereum, FTX, Bitcoin, all with the same label label of, of crypto, um, I think hides a lot of the differences, very real differences between these, um, th these concepts. And, and those differences have vast implications for the people who are interested in uh, accumulating them or uh, trading them. Cool. Um, I'm going to change the subject a little bit. Uh, first of all, what's Riot Blockchain for the people that don't know? And then what are you doing as the vice president of research? Like what uh, activities are you up to? Yeah, absolutely. So Riot is the largest publicly traded Bitcoin miner. Uh, we have a 750 megawatt facility in Rockdale, Texas, um, and I, I, you know, we're we're now north of seven exahash. Um, so it is industrial scale grid mining here in Texas. 
Uh, we are also developing a site out of Corsicana, and that's going to be one gigawatt. So um, Riot is 100% focused on um, Bitcoin mining, but doing it in a way that is vertically integrated. So uh, we are a construction company building our facilities. Uh, we are also self-mining, so we we have our own Bitcoin mining rigs. Um, we're developing new uh, approaches to both air cooling and to liquid cooling with uh, immersion uh, mining. And uh, we also have acquired an electronics, uh, electrical equipment manufacturing and design company, ESS Metron. So... Um, we really see ourselves as um, the end product is Bitcoin, right? We're, we're, we're accumulating Bitcoin on our balance sheet. Um, but the process by which we're doing that is a vertically integrated platform strategy of, okay, we want to, we want to own end-to-end -end, uh, the um, Bitcoin mining process. So uh, that's Riot. Uh, I'm the VP of research at Riot. Uh, now, uh, before I was on the advisory board for Riot, um, I was on the advisory board for Riot for three years, um, and Jason invited me to, Jason Les, our CEO, um, invited me to join the company full-time earlier this year uh, in order to, one, uh, provide lots of education. Uh, I've been learning about Bitcoin for the better part of a decade now. Um, I'm still learning about Bitcoin. I still learn something new about Bitcoin almost every day. Um, but to, to share that knowledge with everyone from the executive team at Riot to uh, the wider employee base at, at Riot and um, the investors in the company, as well as other stakeholders like local communities, uh, policymakers, and, and the general public. So... The education part of this, I think, is critical because there is essentially a, a, a an education gap in many regards um, between what people think Bitcoin is versus what it actually is. Um, but also that, you know, there's there's lots of curiosity. People want to better understand Bitcoin. Uh, they, they might um, they, they might have heard of it, but not really even have any preconceptions about it. They just they're curious about it. And so I think that um, using all of the knowledge I've accumulated over the past decade and, and helping distill that down to um, uh, messages and education that helps people is, is critical. So um, the second part is the research part. Uh, so we came out with a research report in September in conjunction with uh, Joe Burnett at Blockware, focusing in on transaction fees. Uh, this is an area that um, I think that there's been a lack of uh, attention to, um, and also uh, a lot of myths around transaction fees and uh, what their purpose is and what what drives them. So um, one of the myths is this idea of a security budget. Um, so people will say, for example, that Bitcoin has a declining security budget because of the halvings. And there's a lot uh, to unpack there because, one, um, 
the the halvings are in reference to the subsidy, which is new Bitcoin being added to the ledger. Uh, that actually does not contribute to Bitcoin's security. Uh, so the uh, the only purpose of adding Bitcoin to the ledger through the Bitcoin mining process is in order to prevent what's called monopoly seniorage. So monopoly seniorage is the uh, profits that you earn as the monopoly issuer of a currency. Um, Bitcoin, by introducing, by issuing the new Bitcoin through the mining process, it is a highly competitive uh, process so that there is no monopoly issuance, right? So um, it's very hard to run a profitable Bitcoin mining company. Uh, and Riot is able to do so due to the, the talent of the people who work here, uh, but it's not guaranteed, right? We, we, we don't have a monopoly over the issuance of Bitcoin. Uh, there is a highly competitive global free market of hash rate. Anybody can start mining Bitcoin. It's, it's open source. Uh, there's no way to exclude competitors in any way. So um, preventing seniorage is the why the introduction of uh, or the issuance of Bitcoin happens through the mining process. Um, any other alternative would be centralized. Uh, there's just there's no other way to, to do this. Um, so uh, the, the 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 issuance or the the subsidy uh, as it's called of um, BTC that is not actually adding to the security of uh, of the network rather. What secures the network is two things. One is Bitcoin nodes that are verifying all of the protocol rules. And two is people uh, holding their Bitcoin on, on private keys, right? Um, now, whether, and it doesn't even matter if it's a third party custodian or uh, that they are self-custodying, the principle is the same, which is that the only way to unlock those Bitcoin is by providing a signature from those private keys. Uh, and so that's what uh, provides for the security of uh, the, the, that monetary asset. Um, now, with regards to uh, transaction finality, I think that's what people are referring to. They, they, they use the word security because they don't understand the concept of transaction finality. Um, transaction finality actually comes from transaction fees, uh, not from the subsidy. And this is confusing to people because uh, the mining reward is actually the sum of the subsidy and the transaction fees. Um, but the reason why a Bitcoin miner includes a transaction in a block is solely because of the transaction fee that that transaction is paying, not because of the subsidy. Uh, the miner actually gets the subsidy regardless of whether they are including any transactions in the block or not. Um, so the subsidy is irrelevant to transaction inclusion, uh, and thus it's really irrelevant to transaction finality. Um, so uh, that's kind of the other uh, point of, of uh, confusion that we clarify in this research report. The third is uh, what the budget is. So um, the word budget is actually also misleading. So security is is wrong and budget is wrong. Uh, in this case, it's it's really it's astonishing to me that people still use this phrase in 2022. But that's why we wrote this research report. Um, the there there is no budget in the sense that there's no um, 
amount of resources that is the correct amount of resources to be putting into Bitcoin mining in order to prevent uh, double spends or anything like that. Um, rather, it's a reflexive process where if transaction fees were too low, we only know that by somebody double spending. And by double spending, that would incentivize transactors to raise their transaction fees. And so it's anti-fragile and you only need to raise your transaction fees in response to an attack from a sensor, not in anticipation of one. Um, so I would really liken this to uh, the difference between um, essentially uh, put, putting somebody on trial before they've committed a crime just in case they might commit a crime in the future, right? That's the idea of, hey, let's have high transaction fees so that we can prevent double spends. Um, to me, that's deeply misguided. That's a waste of resources. Uh, and so uh, rather what we should want to do is increase your transaction fee when you are actually being censored in response to the attack. Uh, that way you're not wasting resources uh, anticipating an attack that might not even happen. Uh, so that's the other uh, point that we clarified in the research report. So there is no correct uh, budget that you would know ahead of time. Rather, it's actually what is the cost of responding to an attack, uh, not what is the cost of preventing an attack a priori or ahead of time. Um, so yeah, that was uh, a great piece to, to write with uh, Joe Burnett. And um, we, we hope that uh, it, 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 you know, helps other researchers avoid these uh, traps of uh, not quite grokking how Bitcoin transaction finality works. Okay, awesome. Like, I didn't think you were going to get into the weeds like that so early in the interview. But um, first of all, I wanted to say it sounds like Riot's business model is completely different uh, from another player like marathon where they kind of subcontract out you guys are vertically integrated and you own every component of the mining process um the other thing i wanted to say is your your work on education for the nakamoto institute was instrumental in my understanding of bitcoin and kind of wrapping my head around uh how it all works uh but since you brought up uh the transaction fees and, and uh finality and also the subsidies what are your thoughts on full RBF and what are your thoughts on the tail emission debate that are currently going on in the Bitcoin world? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, the, the other driver of transaction fees other than censorship and uh, essentially trying to uncensor your transaction by uh, bidding up your transaction fee, the other um, cause of transaction fees to go up is congestion, network congestion. Basically the idea that there's more demand for block space than there is supply at, um, at any given point in time. And so the way you see this is by looking at the backlog of transactions that are waiting to get into the next block uh, called the mempool. Uh, the mempool is a, a queue of transactions that are, are not confirmed yet, um, that haven't been included in a block yet. And they are rank ordered uh, by the transaction fee rate that they are uh, essentially, um, you know, willing to pay to uh, whichever miner includes them in a block or whichever mining pool uh, includes them in a block. Um, so this bidding up process can happen in a, a number of different ways. 
Uh, the two major ones are child pays for parent and uh, replaced by fee, RBF. Uh, and child pays for parent is uh, CPFP. <laughs> uh, that, that does not roll off the tongue as easily as RBF. Um, so um, there, there has always been a debate about zero confirmation uh, within the Bitcoin developer, Bitcoin protocol research community. Um, the on one hand it is very convenient to be able to rely on zero confirmation transactions and so for example if you if you see a transaction in the mempool uh that is uh, a payment to you as an e-commerce site for example um then you you take that txid uh that that cryptographic fingerprint of the transaction and you enter it into your accounting system as hey this is a pending payment uh and so um we can lock in the exchange rate that is that there's a lot of e-commerce merchants that ideally they would be using bitcoin as their uh unit of account uh but the reality is that uh they are uh converting the bitcoin into dollars or whatever their local currency is um because they're their e-commerce website is displaying dollars uh, to the, the customer, and they're only using Bitcoin essentially as a payments rail uh, for moving value, um, which creates a problem where somebody could try to essentially game the e-commerce website and try to get a favorable exchange rate. So they send the payment in, and if the Bitcoin price uh, goes down or goes up, that's going to change their behavior and they might cancel their order or something like that and uh, get a refund. And it, it leads to all sorts of complexity. Um, and the complexity only increases when you have folks who are using uh, RBF or, um, well, namely RBF, of, <laughs> of replacing the transaction uh, with a new transaction that has a new transaction ID and uh, potentially doing a, a double spend, although this is where we get into the debate of is it really a double spend or not? Because they are just replacing a transaction that's in the mempool in the backlog of transactions that don't have any confirmations. And so by by design, you might say, hey, look, the Bitcoin protocol, it's it's not a double spend if it's in the mempool. It's only a double spend if it's you know at least one confirmation in and you're doing a reorg of blocks yeah so we get into kind of a semantic philosophical debate there but um it really is about uh how convenient can we make bitcoin versus what are the formal security assurances or transaction finality assurances of uh the bitcoin network and um, I think that that's going to continue to be a debate. It has been for the past decade. Um, and uh, there's no, I, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer here. I think that there's really great arguments on both sides. Um, where I come down is uh, just use Lightning. Uh, if you are uh, doing e-commerce and you need to lock in an exchange rate uh, very quickly, uh, Lightning provides instant settlement. And so that's uh, a really, uh, you know, great uh, protocol mechanism. But the reality is that there's lots of people who are still in uh, on-chain, you know, um, uh, habits, and uh, that there's there's 
we're still early we're still so early thank you and then um about the tail emission for for the minor subsidy um i've seen people like peter todd kind of arguing in favor of it and then i've seen other people arguing against it um as a miner in the mining industry like where do you sit yeah so um as i mentioned historically transaction fees have only ever gone up due to uh congestion due to uh demand for block space being greater than supply and in the research piece we discuss why um transaction fees have been very low over the past 18 months or so which is that um there was the segwit uh, uh soft fork in 2017 that activated and that really got adoption um four years later in 2021 or you know there was adoption leading up to it, but there was a tipping point of adoption in 2021, um, where uh, Blockchain.com that has the largest um, self custody wallet they they uh, enabled Segwit, and so we saw a dramatic um, decrease in demand for block space. Not because fewer people wanted to use Bitcoin, uh, but rather because they were using Bitcoin more efficiently. So. Um, there is going to always be this back and forth between demand for block space increasing due to fundamental Bitcoin adoption by users wanting to transact, and then supply of block space increasing due to efficiency improvements from the Bitcoin developers uh, doing soft forks or uh, you know wallet developers adopting soft fork technology or uh, layer two scaling technologies like Lightning and you know Liquid and uh, Fediment and other um, you know various uh, trust trade offs of uh, layer twos or even what what I've heard people call layer threes of um, custodial uh, wallets, right? So um, I think that there will always be this oscillation. I think transaction fees will continue to be very volatile due to waves of Bitcoin adoption. Um, eventually we get to 100% adoption and transaction fees will find some equilibrium point. Uh, I'm actually, uh, I, I am moderately bullish on transaction fees. So you'll hear some really super bullish people say, hey, look, transaction fees are going to be uh, astonishingly high in the future, uh, which I'm skeptical of, um, because of the technology improvements uh, that are uh, adding supply, effective supply to block space. Um, and then you'll also hear people who are super bearish on transaction fees who think that they'll be extremely low. Um, and I'm skeptical of that because of the demand side, uh, that I think that uh, Bitcoin will continue to have significant demand and that there are trade-offs uh, between, for example, on-chain and Lightning. Uh, so uh, there, there will always, I think, be a preference towards cold storage on uh, on-chain, uh, and that uh, that is still the most secure way of holding Bitcoin for the long term. Um, and that Lightning will really shine as a, a payment system for day-to-day -day payments, kind of your your checking account. But your savings account will always be on chain is, is kind of my view. Um, so um, that means that as a miner, I think that uh, Riot will and, and whoever is, uh, you know, 
working with us on on providing hash rate to the Bitcoin network um, will uh, have this source of revenue uh, going forward. We've seen a lot of speculation recently about minor capitulation and um, difficulties being kind of like near all time highs and energy has been increasing in price. Um, what's your take on that right now? Are, are we near minor capitulation or uh, do you think that we still have a ways to go for that to happen? Yeah, um, I I don't have a, a directional view on uh, where we're going to be in the cycle. Uh, you know, kind of looking at the future, I can look at the past, which is, you're right, that, uh, you know, the um, there's tremendous pressure on the mining industry as a whole. Um, now, Riot has had a strategy that I think has um, essentially allowed us to emerge as a leader uh, because of really great risk management. Uh, so, um, Riot has controlled costs, um, has entered into um, uh, electricity contracts that are are really um, conservative and and I think um, essentially um, you know preventing this massive increase in electricity prices to uh, uh, too negatively impact uh, the company. Um, Others have not been, other players in the mining sector ha, have not been so cautious. I mean, especially around leverage, right? Uh, Riot uh, does not have any um, material amount of leverage on its balance sheet. And it's really, you know, speaks to uh, an approach of, hey, look, we know Bitcoin is volatile, right? That's the number one criticism of Bitcoin is its volatility. And so anytime that you're looking at uh, uh, investing or putting money into Bitcoin mining uh, or in saving Bitcoin uh, as, as your money, uh, you have to do it with the, um, by modeling and baking into your assumptions that, hey, this asset can go down a lot in addition to going up a lot, right? So um, Riot has, has taken that view and I think uh, managed its risk um, particularly well through the cycle. So uh, the company is still growing and investing and building. We're building, we're expanding uh, in, in, in Rockdale, we're expanding in Corsicana. Um, and that, you know, there's going to be um, opportunities to, to buy mining rigs at prices that are much lower than they were six months ago, 12 months ago, et cetera. Um, so, uh eventually there will be a bottom i don't know if we're at it today or if we were at it yesterday or if it will be tomorrow but uh, i think that uh the if we look at historical cycles uh, we're we're um we're, we're we're well positioned uh now um the yeah the, i'll just leave it there i i, I don't want to speculate on the future because uh Again, Bitcoin's very volatile. Uh, there's lots of risks. Um, and Bitcoin mining is not like a risk-free investment, right? So um, it, it's, it's, uh, it's something, it's an industry where uh, despite what um, others might, might claim is like, we're, 
Riot is taking on risk, and 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 um, it, so is everyone else in this industry. But uh, we're we're we believe in this strategy, and and it is uh, paying off so far. We've seen places like New York kind of like move to ban mining uh, and pass legislation that's hostile to mining, and then we've also seen like this narrative that proof of stake is like a cleaner. A uh, greener way to to run the consensus for the blockchain. We saw Ethereum do the merge this year. Um, what's your opinion on this kind of climate attack vector for Bitcoin mining? Yeah, sadly, um, uh, proof of stake does not solve the double spending problem. Um, so, uh, it, it, fundamentally, the problem that Bitcoin is solving is that. Um, you need to have some kind of ordering of transactions so that you know who spent the money first. Um, and that way, the person who is trying to spend it again, uh, their transaction can be rejected by the network as being invalid. Um, and so uh, that that's the double spending problem. Uh, Bitcoin proof of work uh, does this ordering of transactions um, by combining uh, uh, this proof of work uh, hashing with a difficulty adjustment uh won't get into the nitty-gritty there but uh the idea being that uh we can we can prove uh using energy and time that uh these transactions were ordered in a particular way um probabilistically uh now proof of stake does not actually solve this because while in proof of work, the miners are committing themselves to one version of the ledger history, in proof of stake, there is no such commitment. And so the stakers can commit themselves to any number of different versions of the ledger history. And in order to prevent long range attacks, there has to be checkpointing. And the checkpointing can be either by a set of developers or by a, a privileged set of uh, staking nodes. Um, but in any case, it introduces a, uh, a layer of centralization, which kind of de destroys the value proposition of having a decentralized ledger. Uh, because now you can have folks uh, collude, uh, you can have people, um, you know, exiting, and uh, but also you can have stakers preventing entry into the uh, staking quorum. Uh, and so uh, staking is far more like a uh, a federated uh, model of um, trusted third parties uh, rather than uh, actually having a decentralized peer-to-peer -peer network uh, where there are no trust assumptions uh, like with Bitcoin and proof of work. So um, there are uh, solutions uh, to this problem for proof of stake that uh, are decentralized. So for example, uh, researchers from protocol labs came out with a paper called Pikachu, which allows uh, proof-of-stake networks to anchor themselves into Bitcoin's proof-of-work uh, so that um, they can be a layer on top of Bitcoin uh, using Taproot. Um, but also, you know, you could characterize the Lightning Network as a, uh, a proof-of-stake network that is on top of proof-of-work. And so, in my mind, Lightning and Bitcoin really have the best of both worlds, that you have the transaction finality of proof of work and you have the anti-seniorage technology of proof of work. Uh, and you also have 
the um, low energy consumption of proof of stake with uh, the Lightning Network, where sending a payment on Lightning from one Lightning node to another really consumes an infinitesimal amount of electricity, arguably less electricity than a Visa payment. This interview has been flying by. You've had some excellent answers. Uh, my last question for you is, we've seen a lot of detractors uh, talk about mining farms as like a risk for centralization and maybe being pressured by regulators into only mining like OFAC compliant blocks or censoring transactions. What's your response to this? Yeah, I I, I think that um, there's no um, interest uh, in, within OFAC and, and uh, the wider global regulatory community uh, in um, actually censoring uh, transactions. So um, they, because they understand that the game theory here is working against them, uh, meaning that even if a transaction is withheld by, let's say, a US-based miner, um, that any other uh, miner in the world or mining pool in the world could include that transaction and that there's, there, there's nothing being accomplished by that. Um, what OFAC is really focused on is the fiat on and off ramps. And so, for example, um, when you are depositing dollars at an exchange or withdrawing dollars from an exchange, uh, that's really, um, or, or, and for that matter, depositing Bitcoin or withdrawing Bitcoin from an exchange where the exchange itself as a centralized regulated entity has to uh, verify if that Bitcoin address is on an OFAC list or not. Um, and so that's really where the focus is on because the, the reason why the focus is there is for a very practical uh, point, which is that the exchange can seize those Bitcoin. The, the miners cannot seize those Bitcoin, even if they were to exclude a transaction, they still can't introduce a transaction that takes the Bitcoin. Uh, whereas the exchange, just by the nature of operating a custodial wallet, can steal or sorry, uh, seize the the Bitcoin that are are being deposited, uh, you know, from an OFAC address or um, so. Uh, and we have seen this in practice that uh, criminals criminals don't want to hold Bitcoin. Uh, they criminals are fiat maxis. Uh, they want to convert their ill-gotten gains into um, you know, designer handbags and uh, Lambos and yachts or whatever it is. And so they're always trying to figure out how do I convert, you know, my Bitcoin very quickly into fiat and withdraw it. Um, and so that's why they end up depositing their Bitcoin at exchanges. And that's why exchanges then end up cooperating with law enforcement to seize the Bitcoin. Um, there's no uh, reason why... Uh, uh, miners or uh, stakers would get involved because there's no way for them to seize those uh, crypto assets or those Bitcoin. Is there anything else that I haven't asked you that you feel is important for the audience to know? Uh, do you want this to go on for eight hours? <laughs> All right, we could leave it at that. Um, how can people follow you on social media and stay updated with what Riot's doing? Yeah, absolutely. So follow me at Bitcoin Pierre on Twitter uh, and at Riot Blockchain on Twitter. 
Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, so uh, find me there. And uh, thanks for having me on again. Indeed, man. I'd love to have you back because I, I really only got to ask you about half the things I wanted to ask you. So anytime you want to come back on the show, you're more than welcome to. Yeah, let's do it again. Happy to come back.